The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter, kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy and media producer. I run a website called youthrivehere.com. And I'm here with the stupendous Reverend Dr. Raymond Anderson, the Senior Minister for the Center for Spiritual Living in Greater Baltimore. Hey, Ray. Hey, Jim. What's up? What, how does it feel to be stupendous? Wait a minute. Did you just call me stupid? No. <laughs> hey, yeah, well, okay, I'm going to have to go look that up and find out. So I'm stupendous now, huh? Yeah, I don't know what that means either. So <laughs> we'll both have to look it up. Hopefully I didn't call you back. <laughs> It's all good. How's it going? It's going. It's adventures. I don't know if you can hear in the background, but I, I live in a townhouse, and the neighbors seem to be erecting some sort of ark or something uh, in the in the house somehow next door. It's making a lot of noise. So since I'm in my home studio, you know, the, the listeners will be able to hear some of that, perhaps. Yes, yes, yes. The, the hammering and the nailing and all the yes, yes, good stuff. I haven't seen the animals line up yet. You haven't seen that yet? Keep an eye out. I will. I will. Um, you know, I have to make sure I get tickets, but I, I've tried Ticketmaster and I haven't seen them on there, so I'm not sure where to get the tickets. Uh, Buyatnoah.com. Oh, okay, great. All right. Are you ready to just jump straight into the show? Yes, sir. Okay, dueling quotes? Yes, you can go first if you wish. If I wish. If you wish. If you believe. I wish upon a star if I believe. So, let's see, where do I want to start? Okay, it is good to affirm, wherever I am, there, let me be. This means, be a channel for the flow of the infinite creative process. If you get and stay in the flow, you will not let the attitudes and antics of other persons squeeze you into their mold. You will let the spirit within you sustain you with all that you need of love and understanding and all of the ideas and creativity to do your work well and to be a bigger person in the process. Oh, I like that. Any ideas? Tom Cruise. <gasps> what? How did you, man? Yeah, it's Tom Cruise going by the alias of Eric Butterworth. I don't like Eric Butterworth. You just taught a class uh, on prosperity by uh, Eric Butterworth, and I 
that's from spiritual economics was that the book i should know i took the class but well, that's not the book that i just quoted from the book i just quoted from was in the flow of life by eric butterworth cool. he does similar things in spiritual economics all right you ready for my uh i have two quotes actually two inspirations okay go for it all right the first one how much can one demonstrate just what one can believe how much can we see? How much can we accept? How much can we find in our consciousness that is no longer repudiated by our denials? Whatever that is, that much we can have. Good one. Guess who? So I'm either going with Emma Curtis Hopkins or Charles Fillmore. You were wrong, Ernest Holmes. See, trust your first instinct, man. Trust your first instinct. Ernie is always, Ernie, Ernie's always got a lot of stuff. That he does, that he does. Okay, so what's your second one? All right, the second one is controversial, and I think it, uh -oh. I think it's kind of, um, you know, because I think this, is, this episode might be kind of controversial. A belief is purely an individual matter, and you cannot and must not organize it. If you do, it becomes dead, crystallized. It becomes a creed, a sect, a religion to be imposed on others. Krishnamurti. Yeah. You know, and I, it, that's pretty tough. Yeah. But, but I know, you know, both, uh, yeah, the, uh, both the Fillmore's and uh, Ernest Holmes, you know, they never set out to start, you know, a, a particular church or anything. It just sort of, they wanted, they needed to expound on the uh, teachings and that was a way to do it. But, you know, I, and we'll talk with Harv about this, but I always believe that they're, the intention, as Ernest says, is to be open at the top. You know, there's, right. there's still much to learn. Right. I think the main issue comes in, in terms of what Krishnamurti is talking about, is when we try to concretize those beliefs and demand that other people believe the same that we do. Yes. I think that's where it comes from. So how can new thought forever stay new in terms of like what you just said, Ernest Holmes said, be open at the top. So how can we have like a baseline of we agree on this and yet we are still flexible enough to embrace the numinous in all of the ways that it shows up? And flexibility is is challenging. I mean, because you know, when you're when you're learning something, especially when you're new to a, a philosophy, you know, you you want some things to hold on to. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes we don't realize that that can become a crutch after a while, you know, mm -hmm. that, that it's the philosophy that's important. It's not the creed. It's not the dogma, mm -hmm. at least in my opinion. No, I agree with you. I mean, for example, so not too long ago, I was speaking with a group of both unity prayer chaplains and religious science or CSL practitioners. And we were talking about this idea of prayer. And so I asked the question, you know, how after service, you know, we, we invite people to get prayer. And I was asking, so when people come to get prayer, do people come, do they tend to come more often for to fix something or to, to heal or whatever? And the answer is yes. So my thing is, if what we say in New Thought is we believe that thoughts create and we believe prayer is powerful, because both unity and religious science were created on this idea of prayer is what's important. 
And why don't more of us come for prayer when things are going great and praying for more of the great and the good to continue? If we believe that prayer is that strong and that powerful, then prayer requests should be coming in to Unity for Prayer and World Ministry of Prayer for CSL, even when things are good and getting better. But we don't tend to pray. We hold on to the idea of prayer is supposed to be begging, beseeching, supplicating, and, and asking for stuff from God. Like we still get stuck in that idea. Very good. So when it comes to the ark that my neighbors are building, what do you suggest is the philosophy? I should, should I, should I, you know, give positiveness to get on that ark or should I, you know, just let it be? Are you ready for vacation? That would be cool. Is that what they were doing in the Bible? It's a cruise ship. It's a cruise. (laughs) Oh, that's a different interpretation. Right. It's like Noah said, look, check this out. The animals don't get to see the world. We're going to do, you know, our version of Disney Cruise, but we're going to do it for the animals and take them around the world, around the world in 40 days, so all of the animals could be amazed. Like, that was the idea. You rhymed. (laughs) You know what? I think you have the basis of a whole new philosophy. (laughs) The philosophy of what? I have no idea. (laughs) But it's, it's a new philosophy, and I think we should patent it. Or Do you patent philosophies? No, you can't patent philosophies. I think someone tried. <laughs> All right, my friend, let us get into So Unity has turned us off by now, but let's pretend <laughs> that they haven't. And uh, why don't we go uh, and interview Harv Bishop? Sounds good to me. Our guest today is Harv Bishop, writer-editor of the book New Thought Revolution, A Powerful Vision for the Future. He spent years studying and practicing New Thought, mystical Judaism, and Buddhism. He's a journalist and university political science educator who explores the interaction between spirituality and social and ecological transformation. He's written for numerous publications and interviewed leading-edge thinkers. And his blog, HarvBishop.com, re-envisions spirituality by asking what works, what doesn't, and what needs to change. Hey, Harv, welcome to Big Universe. No, thank you, Jim. Thank you, thank you, Raymond. Thank I'm you. Honored, honored to be here. It's exciting to have you. <laughs> now, I forgot to tell you that we're kind of a geeky show here, um, so we're in t- we're planning to do the entire interview in Klingon. Is that okay with you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's yeah, uh, 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 yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I know you would uh, you would know Klingon? I plead the fifth at this point. Yeah, you're way past that. <laughs> so, Harv, there's a couple of uh, questions you have to take our quiz before we get into the actual uh, I- interesting part of this the uh, conversation. Okay, what what do I win if I get all the quiz answers? Uh, Raymond will send you an autographed picture of him. I think that sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, no comment. Do you have a favorite mainstream movie with a spiritual bent? Hmm, that's a good question. Mm, I would say Field of the Dreams. Ah, good one. Mm-hmm. Good one. Okay, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of identify as bi-space at this point, but I think <laughs> that's right. 
but I think I'm, I'm both <laughs> Star Trek. I, I'm more Star Trek too myself. All right, Marvel or DC movies? DC, just because it's a childhood prejudice, but I respect the Marvel work. <laughs> cool, cool. All right, but let's actually talk about what we're here to talk about. The um, Harvbishop dot com uh, blog has really taken off for you. How did that get started, and and what's that about? Well, uh, the the short answer is that I used to. Uh, sort of rant privately to my wife and uh, Diane. And, and one day we were um, having some fun in a park and I started off on some obscure theological point. And she said, well, you know, you really need to start a blog. And, you know, it's usually I'm very slow to act. And, uh, you know, I might think on it for two years, but for some reason that really struck a chord with me. And I had the blog up in three days. Wow. And then uh, the first the first post was with uh, our mutual friend Mitch Horowitz and uh, and some outtakes from an interview I'd done with him for Science Mind magazine, and in it he was talking about the limits of the law of attraction and uh, how sometimes uh, some people in New Thought can shame those in difficult circumstances, and that blog post took off. I mean, it was it was huge. My original focus for the blog was going to be sort of the, the deep questions that didn't find their way into the magazine, but which uh, a lot of people had interesting comments on in interviews and things. But once this post by Mitch took off, it, it really, the reader outpouring was amazing. There were uh, more than a thousand uh, Facebook shares on that. Uh, so it's, it struck a real chord. And then readers started writing in, sharing, sharing their stories and it became very apparent that there was a need for uh, among many people for for uh, rethinking new thought uh, and you know admittedly uh, these are all people that recognize the many strengths of new thought and, and these are significant but there was there was a stumbling block and so uh, we started to ask you know is there a different way of approaching this very interesting. And the book grew out of that. Yeah, the book grew out of the blog. The blog, you know, when it originally started, I thought, man, I would be thrilled if maybe 100 people looked at it in a year. And it, it was uh, racking up 20,000 views a month. And it's more or less stayed consistent, or per year, excuse me. Uh, but, and it's, it stayed that, uh, it stayed consistent. And so it succeeded beyond my wildest expectations. Uh, then a few years ago, Mitch uh, reached out and he said, you know, you really should consider putting together an anthology because mm. uh, it, and the blog is not just me and not just the interviews with people, but a lot of people have stepped forward and contributed some really interesting and thoughtful pieces. And I, and I want to emphasize too that it's, it, there, there's a broad variety of thought on the blog and it's it's not all about challenging new thought we have um, our mutual friend kate jagetti has written for it uh, reverend dr steve walling uh, these are people that argue that really what we need to is go back to basics um, to have a more traditional approach to new thought and those voices are welcome too so the blog is really about mutual exploration and dialogue and as one reader said uh, you know you're putting the thought back into new thought and as Mitch has talked about, um, 
for new thought to grow up, we really, we really need to, uh, to have a more vigorous uh, and rigorous intellectual culture where we seriously discuss ideas. Interesting, and it's it's fascinating. I mean, you go into the great aspects of new thought, all the all the wonderful parts of it, and you go into the challenging aspects of it, which you know I think is important in the movement. We need to be able to take a look at things so that new thought can grow. If you can't challenge the sacred cow, then is the sacred cow really sacred in the first place? Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good point, Raymond. Because uh, if we look at the founders, they were challenging all kinds of sacred cows, mm -hmm. and then to, we do them a disservice by turning around and and uh, making them into sacred cows. Ernest Holmes, the Fillmores for Unity. I mean, those people did not see themselves as the last and final word. Yeah, and Holmes said, you know that we should always remain open at the top. What does that mean to you? Well, I think it, it means to uh, be open to new ideas, new understandings, and, and Holmes himself said as much in the Sermon by the Sea, which he uh, gave uh, shortly before his death. Uh, and, and I think we would add, you know, be open to new revelations and miracles and uh, stating it in a Christian context, but it's, it, it, it's inevitable as people's understanding grow that we evolve. And uh, Holmes said new thought would continue to evolve. And yet there's people who reify the science of mind textbook as if that was his absolute final word on all things uh, related to new thought. And in fact, he spent the last years uh, of his life making an intense uh, study of the Hindu sage Aurobindo. And Aurobindo was very strong on evolutionary spirituality. Uh, he died with uh, one of Aurobindo's books um, at his bedside. Uh, he taught Aurobindo. Uh, I was talking to Obadiah Harris, and uh, he uh, was uh, both university professor, but he was also a minister. And he was uh, mentored by Ernest Holmes when he was a young man. And Holmes actually hoped that Obadiah would take over, over uh, religious science. He ultimately didn't. Uh, he influenced by Holmes. He went off to study at Aurobindo's ashram. But uh, Harris told the story that, that Holmes was teaching a course at Founders Church on Aurobindo. And, and, uh, and a board member came up and told Holmes, he said, he said this is not religious science. <laughs> and, and Holmes looked at him and he said, I am religious science. And when you, when you look at what Holmes and others did, I mean, they drew on the wisdom traditions of the world. They made this fantastic synthesis that recognizes the thread of truth that runs through all religions. Mm -hmm. And they were open, they explored. And it seems almost ridiculous to think that, that we can't do that, that same thing. So what would you attribute our inability to be open at the top? Like what? What do you think has transpired in our culture that has caused us to concretize this faith? That's a very good question. In part, I think it's just it's just human. Uh, uh, most organizations, you know, they start with the with the fire of the founders, and and then it seems to congeal. I think there's a lot of mystery in the world, and a lot of a lot of questions are kind of unanswerable, and and that makes people nervous, and uh, so I think there's a certain need for safety and security. I know myself from my own experience when I went into New Thought, suddenly it's like, oh, wait a minute. 
that means I'm going to be on easy street. There is, I keep my thoughts right. All these messy parts of the world, they're not, they're not going to come in. They're not going to bother me. And then when that didn't work, I thought, Ooh, what's wrong with my consciousness? Why, why am I, why am I still attracting that crabby sales clerk or, or whatever circumstance? So uh, I think new thought has an added piece there because it, it seems to promise sort of an ultimate safety net uh, and, and life, life's messy. It's, it's not always there. And sometimes the manual gets thrown away. Uh, and then for whatever reason, a lot of people, and maybe because of this, the same thing, there's the, the just world hypothesis, which shows that, uh, the more people believe that the world is inherently just the less compassion, the less empathy that they have for others. And I think that can sometimes be seen in religious science. Uh, you'll, you'll hear people say, well, for, for a couple of years, they've been working on this idea of a world that works for everyone. And there's a very laudable effort to increase uh, uh, diversity and inclusion and uh, social justice. And, but a lot of people are opposed to this. And some people will just insist, well, we already have a world that works for everyone. Hmm. And, and meaning that there's this one-to-one -one relationship between people's consciousness and what happens to them. So, I mean, are we going to turn around or say that uh, to a child sex slave in, in Asia? Right. You know, are we going to, are we going to say that to people who are experiencing homophobia or racism or, you know, a 12 year old kid that it has a BB gun mistaken for a, a, a gun and is killed by police? Are we going to say, you know, your thoughts created all this stuff? I mean, I mean, that's, that's inhuman. And, and, and I think, unfortunately, that rigid, rigid, rigid hanging on to uh, the law of attraction is, is the, in saying there's no victims. I mean, there was, there was even a minister after the Charleston church shooting that, you know, reasserted there are no victims and that these people had died in order to, that we could wake up and raise our consciousness. Oh, Interesting. Um, so... Um, yeah, I guess that's a rather long answer to. Well, yeah, to it's a long big question. Yeah. Well, let me. I'd like to um, steer things in in one direction. We need to talk about the criticisms because that's important, uh, and they're they're often very true. What are the best aspects of new thought to you? What where where did you come into it, and why do you think it's a powerful philosophy? If you do. Oh, absolutely, I do. Uh, I mean, I've been in it and studying it and living it for, for more than 40 years. And I wouldn't be where I am in my life. I mean, I, I met my soulmate. I had the good sense to marry her. Uh, uh, I've got a job that I love, other opportunities. And uh, none of that would have happened. I mean, as, as, as a kid, uh, I was bullied in school. I was sick a lot. I had very little self-confidence. Uh, my mom uh, read uh, Joel Goldsmith and uh, Ralph Waldo Trine in Tune with the Infinite, and she would share passages with that. And I always was very comfortable uh, with, with the ideas. And uh, as fate would have it, we, I grew up about two miles from what would become the largest New Thought church in the world, Mile High Church near Denver. Wow. And uh, they had this very uh, unique building process. They mounted a lot of dirt and they made a dome. 
And so it was a, it was, and I think, well, what is that dome building? And later on, I don't know if you guys remember Woody Allen's film Sleeper, uh, where it was set in the future and the futuristic McDonald's, that was Mile High Church. And so I thought, well, I've, I've got to check out this church. So my last year of high school, I went and uh, it was amazing. I mean, to, to hear a positive message and and to the uh, the fact that they recognize the truth of all religions, uh, that uh, that there was this underlying consciousness, this uh, divinity uh, that was in and through all, uh, including us, and that we shared in the creative power uh, of that uh, of that uh, underlying consciousness. It was it was absolutely wonderful, and and uh, I took every single class I could. Um, I started to overcome my lack of self confidence. Started to believe in myself. Uh, went back to school. Uh, I barely made it out of high school, but you know, as a result, I, I went back to college and did well, and ultimately ended up teaching um, in a university. So, um, I mean, the seeds of all that come from new thought. Uh, this is just no way in hell I would be anywhere near where I am in my life without that. Uh, so the strengths of it, uh, as the, what we've already talked about, you know, the, the, uh, the mystical view of the underlying unity of creation, uh, our participation in it, our part uh, sharing in some of the, to some degree in the creative power of divinity, uh, this radical openness and inclusivity that you see in New Thought. I mean, it was uh, one of the first denominations uh, to be open to uh, women and um, gays as ministers and leaders. And uh, that's that's still true today. And that's still not true for a lot of other faith traditions. So that's that's a huge plus. Uh, the, the belief that you know, that the divine is within everyone. I mean, you know, it's, Karen Drucker captures it so perfectly. You know, you're the face of God. Uh, uh, I hold you in my heart. You are a part of me. And if we took that new thought message deeply and seriously and understood it at our core, we could not be violent towards another human being. We could not uh, engage in acts of discrimination or prejudice or, or, or see anything other, you know, than divinity before us. And that is remarkable and powerful. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the late Reverend uh, Dr. Nirvana Gale. Uh, he was a cohort of Michael Beckwith at Agape. Mm -hmm. uh, later went on to, to do his own church. But I met him before he died, and he's one of the people I interviewed. And he turned me on to a, a passage in uh, Science Mind textbook. And, and basically in that passage, Holmes says, uh, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is, uh, this is, an, you can't get everything you want, but if you follow this way of living, you will have greater possibilities in your life. And, uh, and I agree with Nirvana. I think that was an extraordinarily powerful passage, and I think it's one that gets too often overlooked by New Thought Fundamentals. We'll be right back on Unity Online Radio with Big Universe. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter and Reverend Raymond Anderson. Welcome back to Big Universe. We'll be right back with our interview with Harv Bishop after this quick segment with Sarah Bowen. Spiritual Moment with Spiritual Rebel Sarah Bowen. Hello, Big Universe listeners. This is spirituality author and educator Sarah Bowen. Each segment, Jim and Raymond toss me a few words, which I reflect on, and then offer a related spiritual experience for you to try. Today, the words are open and adjustable. I'm one of those people who seem to be allergic to certainty and perhaps addicted to mystery. This necessarily means I have to keep space for everything I think I know to evolve. In school, I was taught that teachers had all the answers, or so at least professed my cranky physics teacher. Struggling with physics, it never being explained in a way I could understand, I set it aside as something that was, quote, not for me. Later in life, I was able to open the door for metaphysics in my spiritual life, but the door was still slammed shut on the diehard science physics types, who I presumed would arrogantly have a perfect scientific explanation for everything going on. Yet that's not the case. NASA admits, quote, more is unknown than is known. I picked up astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson's book, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry, to see if perhaps I could be open enough to let back in something that I had put aside as not me. Tyson agreed with NASA, quote, most of the universe is made of stuff about which we are clueless. The universe is under no obligation to make sense to you, unquote. Remaining open to new ideas and perspectives allows growth as well as room for the mystery to unfold itself in new ways all around us. So sit back, relax, and let's take a quick journey of discovery. Start by tuning in to the flow of life force within yourself. Breathe in and out slowly, contemplating how far up is. Now consider the following ideas. You are a tiny part of a massive galaxy, one of over 100 billion galaxies, with the nearest 600,000 light years from you. At night, the nearest star will be 25 trillion miles from where you are sitting. You are one of over 7 billion humans among 8.7 million more species of life on Earth. Close your eyes gently and consider how small you are. One tiny blip in an ever-expanding, increasingly connected universe. Now open your eyes. Look at your hand and then at your foot. Now consider these ideas. Around 10,000 different species of microorganisms call you home. 
Your body is made up of around 37.2 trillion cells, 2 billion of them in your heart alone. Your nose can recognize almost a trillion different scents. And information is zooming along your nerves at about 250 miles per hour. Consider how large you are. An entire world lives within you. Thanks for joining me today. For more info on Creating Spiritual Moments and my book, Spiritual Rebel, go to spiritual-rebel.com slash universe and may the source be with you. And now back to our interview with Harv Bishop. What do you think the state of the New Thought movement is right now? And, and what do you think needs to happen for it to grow? Oh, boy. That's, That's a, a good... little question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I only I mean, ask little questions here. The, I mean, there's, there's so much going on. I mean, one, they're challenged institutionally. Church membership is down. Uh, people just in general aren't going to church uh, as much as they used to. And that's true for any denomination and particularly true for what's uh, still in terms of the mainstream, a relatively, uh, uh, you know, small, uh, small group. Uh, so that's a challenge. I mean, do, as I've been talking to different ministers and things, do they move online? Do they empower their uh, congregants to play more of a leadership role within churches? Uh, it, you know, for a movement that teaches prosperity, there's a lot of ministers that are doing side hustles. Uh, and that's no reflection on their message, no reflection on the, on the beauty of what they're doing at their churches, but it's, it's it's a tough sled out there and uh and that is not actually you know tough times like that are not something that new thought is particularly because i mean if we're looking at a, another possible downfall it's you know stick your head in the sand and and uh, keep insisting everything is roses and and uh, you know sometimes you know whether you're dealing with social justice or you know issues of cultural and economic transformation um You've got to look at those things in order to chart a new course. So I think it needs to be talked about. I think uh, you're not going to bring in millennials uh, unless you know you have some some social justice mission, uh, because millennials are are very strong in that area. Um, and so there's those kinds of issues. And then I'd also argue the theological tweaks uh, and. I want to emphasize again, I'm not, not, not saying that if a person takes a very traditional approach to new thought, uh, that that's a bad thing. If it works for them, that's absolutely fantastic. But I just think there needs to be more room at the end. Uh, I think, you know, there's one example that I have in the book, a reader who wrote into the blog after the first uh, interview with Mitch. And uh, she was a, a grandmother and, and uh, a baby had died recently after birth. Uh, daughter and son-in-law and she was t she said she was told by uh, someone at a church that, that it was in the parents consciousness to, that somehow drew that circumstance in wow. and um, so the people that have been alienated by those kinds of behaviors and things um, and certainly I don't think by far anyone you know that a majority of people in New thought I would hope wouldn't engage in that kind of shaming but it happens and so I think if there's 
a little wider view. You know, the, the only real difference that I think I have with, with the majority of New Thought teachings and in in its, its major strengths is, does the law of attraction work all of the time? Or does it work mostly or some of the time? And I said, to me, that's a, as Mitch once said, it's, you know, that it works at all is absolutely miraculous and we should be down on our knees and thankful. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, it seems to me that, you know, the, 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 the major weakness is insisting it works all the time, 100% of the time. Uh, and that also uh, ignores um, economic systems, uh, political systems, culture, uh, race, gender, and class issues, uh, and, and then to, to, to be a philosophy where it says, well, everything's on you, um, I don't think it works in this day and age. I mean, that, that pretty much was the understanding at the time a lot of New Thought was founded. I mean, most of everything was geared to individual responsibility. Mm -hmm. William Grimm Sumner, who taught at Yale, he was a sociologist, he said, if you uh, pass a drunk in the gutter, He's, he's there because of his choices. And if you stop to help him, you're wasting time that you could be spending being productive. So that it, if, if there was an economic depression, it was on the individual to resolve it. Uh, and at the time, it just wasn't recognized the impact that social systems and culture had on our lives. Mm -hmm. And so that's a real blind spot for new thought. And Social science has moved on far since then, and we do recognize that it's, it's not always the individual um, that is responsible for certain things. So um, it's just a matter of, I think, updating the thinking, taking a little different look. And as I say, if people are comfortable believing that 100% of, of their thoughts or whatever consciousness creates 100% of reality, then and that works for them. Certainly, I'm not going to say they shouldn't. So going into 2020, if you could have it your way, what would be maybe like the top three things you would encourage those who practice new thought to consider shifting in consciousness or looking at differently? I mean, I would say, I would say uh, you know, that there's a lot of good new thinking out there. And I, I think if if people would take a look at it, um, in addition to my own New Thought Revolution, which includes a lot of other folks in it, I would say Mitch Horowitz's book, The Miracle Club, um, uh, Sky Nelson's uh, Living in the Flow, uh, and I know Jim, Jim knows Sky in his work, uh, Gary Lockman's uh, uh, Lost Knowledge of the Imagination, um, Dean Radin's new work and that he talks about manifestation and scientific study of it in real magic. Uh, there's dynamic and new ways of, of looking at and understanding and virtually all these guys who are really on the cutting edge, none of them are saying that we create 100% of our reality. They are saying that we do create some of our reality. Mm -hmm. And so it seems to me that if, if we go there and, you know, one of the practices that, uh, my wife and I have done in the last couple of years is, is looking at taking a much closer look at chaos magic mm -hmm. and, and the chaos magic culture is something I really admire because they, they work, they develop hacks, they experiment, they share. And it's, it's a very dynamic growing understanding and they try different things and they're not afraid to do that. The second thing that's really key is, is they, they very much have this view that 
uh, we don't shape everything. But that, you know, there's some events that are high probability, some events that are low probability. One of the examples I like is that, say, like if we went back to 1960 and say that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama were there and of age and had this great desire to run for president. And I venture to say neither of them would get much traction, no matter how their consciousness was held, no matter how many affirmations they did or whatever they visualized. So, and it would have been because of the social and political structures of the time. So, um, it's, 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 so the, those would have been very low probability events, absent some shift in mass consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, so the chaos magicians say more or less the same thing. There are some things that are high probability, some things that are low probability. So you, you want to look at the small steps that it takes to get to a larger goal and then start your manifestation work around those small steps. Tip the scales, mm. you know, load the dice a little bit. And this guy Nelson says much the same thing. He says, you know, you do this work, you're going to enhance the probability of something happening. There's not a 100% guarantee that you will make it happen, but you will make it more likely to happen, and sometimes it will happen. Now, one of the important things that you say in the book that really struck me is that it's important to hold the questions of your of of experience uh, of belief, you know. And I think sometimes in New Thought and in all religious philosophies, it seems that we want some conclusions, you know, so that we feel better, you know. So, that yeah. we, so talk to me a little bit about holding the questions. Well, it's, there's this. The, uh, the, I think in, in um, psychology they call it the desire for premature closure and, and because uh, holding a question pro prompts anxiety uh, and you don't uh, you don't want that challenge and and you know I've certainly been guilty enough of that in my life and maybe that's why in the early going in new thought I you know latched on to the sort of simple and easy explanation that uh, I was going to get a spiritual bypass and everything would be okay uh, and, and I think a lot of the respect I have for questions comes from studies with my rabbi, Howard Hoffman, in terms of Jewish mysticism. The very first time I saw him, he said, truth can be seen as an area, as an open circle, or it can be seen as a narrow point. If it's an open circle, we can have conversation, we can discuss, we can have dialogue, we can evolve our understanding together. If it's seen as a narrow point, I'm on it, you're not, and my job is to push you off that narrow point. Uh, and one of the key things in, in, uh, in the Jewish culture that I've observed in that learning culture is that good questions are valued more than answers uh, because of the recognition that we need to keep it open. And there's a spontaneous relationship with the divine that is, is very important. And when we hold things rigidly, um, we tend to get stuck in dogma and we're no longer having an ongoing conversation or, or dialogue with divinity. Hmm. What is a dialogue with divinity? What is that? I mean, it, I know that's another small question, isn't what it? What does that look like? <laughs> I, you know, that's, oh boy, that is a good question. <laughs> I have to backtrack and put in a lot of the stuff in Jewish mysticism. If we're putting it in a new thought perspective, I would say that it would be listening to our higher self, listening to our intuition, uh, 
being watchful of evolving circumstances and, and uh, trying to get uh, some sense of where we might go within that. Uh, Michael, Michael Beckwith's visioning process, I think, would be a very good example. It's like where you're not just sitting there with your mind uh, thinking, okay, what's next? What do I want? And, you know, how am I going to manifest it? You're sitting there and you're just opening yourself and saying, okay, you know, big picture. I can't see everything. What's the, what's the vision you have for me? What's the vision you have for my life and my gifts to bring into the world? So not exactly talking because the one part of it is wordless and we tend to talk a lot, but yeah, it's in that ballpark. Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, you know, my wife had some very serious life-threatening medical issues and, and we, um, you know, she had ultimately four surgeries. Um, she was working for a spiritual organization. She was laid off in a cost-cutting measure two weeks before she was due to go back to work. And, and really that opportunity to go back and do that job, which, you know, was her life and, and mission and sharing New Thoughts message. I mean, it really, you know, and then on top of that, losing the job and then uh, living on one salary with massive medical debt. Uh, I, I mean, we, we, we were broken. I mean, we were, we were knocked to the floor, knocked to our knees. So, and then to be in that state and then alienated, not necessarily from new thought as an organization, but from, um, uh, from, from, or new thought as a philosophy, but the, the organizations in which we had put our trust and that sense of betrayal and just almost any new thought practice seemed um, too painful to do because it had too many memories associated with it. So it, it, I mean, that's one of those times we were without a manual and, yeah. and all that stuff was stripped away and not to have uh, our, our, you know, spiritual community there to, to lean into for support. We were, we were really kind of on our own and we had to, we had to rebuild things. Um, so, um, you know that 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 was one of those one of those moments where we you know we had to live the questions we had to to rethink our way into it and ultimately i mean we we um thanks to a, a lot of of insight and and we turned to initially to yogananda and dr james rouse uh, he's a, a columnist for science mind magazine uh but he uh he had a book that dealt with um uh, uh, exercise, eating uh, vitamins in ways that could uh, uh, promote positive brain chemistry and uh, help you keep a positive frame of mind. And slowly but surely, we built it up. We ultimately uh, were able to spend a year living in Europe and uh, you know rebuild our finances. We came back, uh, strangely enough, with actually making more money while we were gone. <laughs> than That's if we good. Just, That's oh. good. That helps. So, uh, you know, we rebuilt our practices, but we're a lot more eclectic. We experiment uh, a lot more. We still do some Neville-style work. We still do some new thought work, but we mix in some chaos magic, some sigils, uh, some Hindu chanting, transcendental meditation. So um, our practice is a lot more eclectic, and we were able to, to get ourselves out. out. But and, and that's, I think, what I mean by... Uh, being open to experimentation and, and different practices and sharing them and seeing what works. That's really fascinating. Uh, you know, every, a lot of people 
obviously go through those kinds of experiences in life. And I think, you know, we, we try to put band-aids on it rather than really exploring what, what works for us. And so that's awesome that you were able to get through that and still accept, you know, all kinds of, of faith. It's really interesting that you've been able to sort of put something together that's in a different sense that works for you. Yeah, and yet I think the core mechanisms, core mechanisms are the same no matter how we approach it, whether it's a spiritual mind treatment or visualization or affirmation or chaos magic, it's all working the same, the same underlying universal dynamic. So I have a slightly off-topic sort of kind of question. So mm -hmm. not ago, you know, we had uh, Nancy Pelosi talking about how her being a Catholic uh, influences how she shows up as a politician. And in New Thought, I hear a lot of people talk about politics is way over wherever, and then there's us. Do you find or believe that it is possible for someone to be a New Thought politician and elevate the, the way we do politics in the United States? Yeah, I think it's very possible, um, and and I think it's possible for every person in New Thought to 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 elevate because we we've our political culture is at a very low point right now in terms of beating up people that disagree and and a whole host of things. But uh, yeah, politics, you know, there there's politics i always teach my students politics is is everywhere it's in families it's in the workplace it's you can't separate yourself from it and when dc it's writ large and it's easy to get cynical about it and um, think what we do doesn't matter but you know whether you bike or walk or or um, ride a bus to work that's a political act it it, it deals with the environment it deals with issues of war and peace and oil supplies and the economy so, I mean, everything is so interconnected and, and on a literal physical as well as metaphysical level that it's impossible not to be involved in politics. Uh, so, uh, and, and, you know, so too in, in, in matters of, 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 you know, race, gender, and class. I mean, those are all things that our consciousness impacts and that, that we interact with every day. So... Yes, I uh, my my concern is if if it was an uh, an open and out new thought person running for office, uh, you know, there and you can see it with Marianne Williamson's candidacy. I mean, she's she's got a lot of good ideas, um, and I think she's an important voice. But uh, the ridicule that comes, and I think uh, you know that speaks to this issue that Mitch writes about in the book, which is that these uninformed critics of new thought, you know, what do they think? Well, you all want to get rich. Uh, you're, you're, you're into woo-woo. You're self-centered. You're just, oh, well, let me work on me. Uh, and you don't care about the larger culture. And that ignores new thought history. I mean, my word, is, and Mitch writes about that so strongly in the book, One Simple Idea, uh, is that, that we have a rich, rich history from Wallace Waddles, he inspired The Secret, but he was also a socialist candidate for Congress. Um, and a number of other different New Thought folks that were very progressive in their day on. So uh, women's issues, uh, all kinds of different things. So they, they were involved in it back in the late 1800s. So um, I think, yeah, I would love to see that now. 
and I don't know if the culture is open enough to accept a, an out New Thought candidate. But I think someone that uh, maybe uh, just even applied the vision in, the, in some of the New Thought concepts uh, would, could be um, very successful as a candidate. And I mean, I mean, looking at Barack Obama, I would consider him in many respects uh, uh, sympathetic to you know the whole idea of hope and, and the vision. Uh, and so that even though he wasn't literally New Thought, I think that a candidate who had resonance with that point of view could could do very well. Let me ask you one more question, and uh, we just have a couple minutes here, and that is. What is one tip that you can give us that we can take away from New Thought Principles? I think I think it would I think it would come down to really taking seriously uh, what we talked about earlier that uh, when we look at other people uh, that we're we're in ourselves that we are we are dealing with uh, uh, divinity manifest in, in the world. Uh, I think that that same little thing uh, and. And as Mitch often says, you know, if we can, it's not enough just to say you believe, uh, but if you allow those beliefs to influence your behavior and how you treat other people, that's where the rubber meets the road. So I'd rather someone is uh, taking a traditional approach to new thought or uh, this kind of new new thought that we've been talking about, uh, you know, let it, let it really influence uh, you know, how you live and how you treat others in the world. Amen. Thank Amen. you so much, Harv, for joining Amen. us. It's been great to have you on Big Universe. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Great to talk to you. And please uh, go to Harvey's blog at harvbishop.com. There's lots of insight, provocative discussions, and information there. For more information about uh, Raymond, go to raymondanderson.com. I've got some premium video courses from lots of instructors uh, and spirituality and motivation at my site called youthrivehere.com. And thanks everybody for joining us on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.